0: It's time to stop dealing and start demanding. It's time to stop being PC and start being transparent and authentic. It's time to get real. Prepare yourself. It's time for Crazy and the King. Welcome to Crazy and the King. We spell it C-R-A-Z-Y and crazy. the King. You know, somebody asked me who was the king.
1: <laughs> really? It, really. Really. They were standing with you. But it's all
0: good. Hey, I'm yeah. the crazy one. How are That's you? me.
1: I'm pretty goddamn good. good. How are you?
0: Um, awesome. Yeah. Good. It's been
1: yeah. a f- hell of a summer, right? And
0: excited about our next guest on the uh, podcast, um, but it has been a hell of a summer. And actually, this person we've been rocking with. I know personally, we've seen him in New York. We've seen him in Boston. Yeah. We've even seen him in London. Oh, yeah. I think that there was a news flash when we were in London about somebody. Never mind. no that wasn't him wait yeah no
1: i was i was drinking beer the whole time so i missed whatever the hell that was but he's
0: an (laughs) awesome individual and i'm looking forward to chatting with him so it's all good so want to introduce you want me to do it
1: no i want to do it go ahead all right so welcome to crazy and the king yeah mr tim sackett yeah thank you for for joining us today it's so exciting you're out i think our fourth interview now that we've gone to this format so it's super fun, and I'm loving to get to know even more people in our industry.
0: Yeah, and by the way, for those of you who are new to our podcast, the format that Julie is talking about is we, uh, we record together, Julie and I, once a week. And then on the off weeks, we are bringing experts and people that are influencers and people that make things happen in our space because we we richly believe that there are some great voices that people need to hear about. So yeah. we have That's one of them cool. today. When, who, yeah.
2: When's he coming or her?
1: Um, we're just going to use you for right now, oh, oh, yeah, so yeah. it'll be okay. Oh, you you <laughs> understand Sorry. This is practice run practice right here. <laughs> practice makes run. us better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Mr. Sackett, yeah. for, so our audience is a primarily a D&I audience, uh, yeah. people who are super invested in diversity, cool. so if they don't know you, which yeah. is rare, I get, uh, tell us a little bit about you and what you do, and- yeah about your awesome book, The Talent Fix.
2: Yeah. So uh, I consider myself, I guess, a practitioner at heart um, in terms of recruiting, but I've also worked about a decade in HR, um, have a master's in HR, um, you know, really got into blogging and writing in the space about 10 years ago with Fistful of Talent, Chris Dunn's site. And then um, a couple of years of doing that. And then I started my own site and, you know, crazy things happen when you start Writing and podcasting and talking and on the internet, people think you know what you're talking about and they invite you to Thank all God over for the world to come do stuff, <laughs> which is kind of fun. It's cool. My yeah. wife likes the, the trips. Um, and then out of that came a book um, because I, you know, again, as the audience builds over time, like when you first start, you know, like writing and you have this blog and you have like literally 10, 25 people a week, whatever it is, like mm-hmm. reading your stuff, they're all fans. Like they come and they just love everything you said right. and you're just like everyone's happy and you're just like, this is the greatest thing. <laughs> As the audience grows, some of the haters come out and then you have people like I have people that come and read me every day that I know don't like me waiting for me to do something wrong so they can just so they kill can me. Call it. But as the audience grows, like more and more questions from, I mean, literally all over the world come in where it's like, oh, what would you recommend for this? And what would you do for this? And what would you, and it gets to the point where you just don't have the capacity to respond. Right. And now that that Midwest kind of person, like I just, I can't not respond, (laughs) but then you're up like weekends and nights trying to just even respond to emails. So eventually I just wrote the book and said, well, here's what I would do from literally day one through whatever to help you. Attract more talent Get more talent Fix your recruiting That was the biggest thing People call me and go We're broken And then what would you do you know? yeah, So, so wow. let me go back to First of all What are your social media handles uh, I'm here. at Tim Sackett I mean branded everywhere, everywhere. So If you google Tim Sackett It's me And then there's one other Tim Sackett in the world. He's a truck driver chaplain out of Minneapolis. I'm not him, but (laughs) it would be very cool if I was that same guy. Like (laughs) Tim Sackett recruiter and Tim Sackett truck driver chaplain.
0: Would it be? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So so you said something in your intro, uh, a master's in HR. And that hits me because a lot of people are writing articles and, and thinking about where is HR now? Like even I remember Lars put up an article earlier in the summer and said I, I think he asked the question should we call it HR or should it be something different? I can't remember yeah
2: yeah, yeah. I, I agree yeah, how I he phrased that. that. Yep. But
0: but when you think about your masters in H R, when you achieve that mm-hmm. where we are now in terms of economy, platforms and gig do you still, does, does the, the version of Tim now still go to school and get a master's in HR? Does he look for something different? Is he applying it? And I'm really curious about that because yeah. we got some, some listeners that are coming yeah. through the pipeline and they may want to know how to shape their academic path.
2: Yeah. I bet once a week I get asked that question through either like a LinkedIn message, email, someone that read you know something and like sends it out. And it's usually, do I, should I get an HR degree or should I get an MBA? and i always i across the board i always say mba it's just more transferable You don't know if you're going to be, and again, if I'm, it's one thing, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to go to HR, I'm going to be an HR, I'm going to be an HR leader and that's all I want to do. But what we see is this cross-functional kind of, Hey, somebody in sales got into, is running HR now, or somebody in accounting went here. And so for me, why can't you be an HR leader and then go run finance or go run operations? Well, if you have an MBA, it's easier to do that. If you just have an HR degree, people are always going to view you as HR person. Right. Um, I mean, the education stuff has changed so much. When I got my degree, my master's thesis was on women in leadership. I grew up, I was raised by a single mom who was one of five sisters. My sister was the first grandchild. I was the first boy in the family. Wow. So, like, I literally, the female influences in my life were insane. And then when I started working in HR... I worked in, re- my first like real HR job was in retail. And it was that 70-30 split, 70% female, 30% male. But then the leadership was completely flip-flopped. And I was raised by strong women. I didn't understand why we were doing this. Why was there only men that were leaders and not the female? So I wanted, and I, in my mind, I'm a data, I love data. So in your, back to your question, Torn, I I think if I wanted to go back, I would probably get a a, um, a degree in data science, <laughs> mm. <laughs> because I'm just always fascinated by how data can really tell the true story of a lot of stuff, um, or at least you know it'll help us down that path. Um, and so for me, I wanted to see the data and understand well, it must be a performance thing, right? Men are just better leaders, right? <laughs> that's now, what they tell us, yes. That's what we have. <laughs> Um, and so I had at the time over 300 locations that were being either led by a male or a female, obviously it was small smaller female. And then they had dynamics of their teams that they were leading and all these retail locations spread across the country. And so I got to dig into operational data, financial data, and take a look. Does a male or a female run a better location or why are we hiring more males and females? Blah, blah, blah.
0: The irony in that, Julie, is that when you think about the book and the first line or a line on a particular website says this is for every leader that's been told to fix a broken hiring process but needs a specific place to start. And so for too long, I say this without any apology, for too long we've leaned on white men and men in general saying that they are the ones who can fix some of these problems and yet Tim is writing a book to simply say... I see this sea of men who are leading organizations, yet I need to write a book to help the men fix their broken system. Yeah, that's the irony in well,
2: and the in book. HR, it's mostly and again, if it's it's written for either HR TA leaders, again, the majority of those are still going to be female, even in the leadership roles. Um, when you take a look at it, but again, I didn't write it necessarily that you had to be an HR TA. Okay. it could be any. Leader. That's
0: good because I think agnostic. So role agnostic.
2: Yeah. because I think what happens is you get so many people that get into the role and they're like, Hey, by the way, you're now going to run HR for the company or you're going to run TA and they came out of somewhere else. They have no idea what they're doing. So, and
1: here's the thing that I think a lot of D&I slash business leaders slash anyone that doesn't work in TA doesn't understand is that the tech stack and what those challenges and those vendors and all of the different systems that are sort of semi communicating with each other um, and how they impact you know, whatever your role is. So like me specifically helping companies recruit people with disabilities. When I started this this venture, you know, five or six years ago, I understood HR, I understood um, data, and I understood disability. I did not understand TA Tech. I did not understand that process. And I start working with my first company and I'm engaging with 10 different vendors to get to day one. And then you think about all of that in terms of how it impacts the job seeker. And I think as I leaders we I think a lot of times of people that are already internal, but this, what I love about this, and I actually shared your tech stack diagram with my team yeah. because they went like, who are all these organizations you're talking about? What are all of these different you know acronyms? And I was like, this is what you need to understand. When we're talking about creating opportunities for diverse communities. This is what it, we're going through. And I think any good D&I leader can be an expert because it's a lot, but they can have a better understanding and it will make them better D&I leaders and better leaders within their corporations because they know the processes yeah. that, that happen there. You know, and I just think that's so impactful. Like, I just love the basics. You know, yeah. getting to that piece. Well, you know, the
2: people that are developing the technology for the most part aren't practitioners. They don't know what we know as leaders within the HR field. What they know is technology and they see a problem. Problem is, we have an opening, we need people for that opening, and then they just solve that problem in the fastest way possible. They don't look in to say, well, wait a minute, part of the problem is we have an opening, but what we really need in that opening is X, Y, Z, whatever, and now let's go. You know, that, that hasn't evolved to that point yet. I mean, I think we're getting closer and where we can kind. To turn some of that stuff on. Um, but then even then, that's problematic for companies to determine, well, what should that
0: be? And how should that be? And I mean, that just opens up a whole nother, that's you know, a whole box. nother can yeah. of
1: worms, right? Yeah.
0: You do a lot of writing. Uh, you do a blog each and every day. Yeah. Uh, you send out a number of great articles inside the book, 150 pages or so. I'm curious as to what was the biggest revelation for you in this process? It took you six, eight months to put it together. What's the one thing that kind of jumped out that surprised even you? For me,
2: in my mind, I had such a clear vision of how I would come in and do something and fix something, right? Like, because I've done it. So that was, so idea so like, well, I'm going to share it and I'm going to do it. And as I started to look at like all the research and technology and just other like examples from other companies and people, what I realized was there's like a million ways to actually solve and fix talent. <laughs> I just had one. <laughs> and so then he was it was like, oh, well, should I write that? Or should I add that? Or how do you add that? And like, eventually you just have to take a stand and say, okay, here's what I think is the best. But I actually changed some of my own thought processes on what I would do and how I would change that. And like, some of those are just like, you know, how potentially before I would train a recruiter or select a recruiter or measure a recruiter. I, you know, I really came from an agency perspective. And when I started to look at most of the people who are going to buy this book are going to be corporate talent acquisition leaders or HR leaders, um, or in that realm, what's a better way for them to actually have success doing that, knowing that they're probably going to have you know incumbents coming in that are already working there and stuff like that, you just can't you know you can't grind out like you would in a sales role of an agency to like train somebody. You have to, there has to be a little bit more softness there. But at the same time, there's a lot of value to that as well. So I want to keep some of that. But I, I mean, I really had to take a it really made me stop and look at sometimes at how I did things and then take a look at how others were doing it and figure out well which one's better <laughs> and let's figure that out.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that we need that simplification process and we just i mean an opinion is is it's your your take on it, your judgment, but that at least gives people a criteria to look and make better decisions. And and I want to switch gears just a little bit if we can. So I heard you say early, and I've heard you say often after spending a lot of time with you this summer, uh, a lot about Mama Sackett. Yeah. And and how what an influence she's been. And, and I know you've taken over her business and, and that. So can you kind of tell us a little bit about how she influenced your leadership? Well,
2: yeah, I mean, if she, I, I call her like the toughest bitch... Of- Alive. Nice. Like if I if everyone ever said like hey who would you never want to negotiate with it was my own mom.
1: Uh- I love that.
2: Because she would just, I mean, she, she was unapologetic. and at, She would ask any question of anybody at any time, male, female, leader, non-leader. I have a great story. So um, who was the all-time uh, Pittsburgh Steelers head coach? Um, Chuck Knoll, right? And so George Perlis was a Michigan State head coach for a long time, like actually coached for, for Chuck Knoll and had a big Super Bowl ring. So we're at a Michigan State game, take my mom. George Perlis is aging, has a big giant Super Bowl ring. He's a god at Michigan State, and he's literally coming down an elevator with us. My mom's next to him. My mom has a big old diamond ring on, and he looks at her ring. He, she looks at his, and she ta- he takes his ring off and hands it to her. We're all in the elevator going, oh my that's god. a Super Bowl ring from Pittsburgh Steelers, and she puts it on. That's nice. Gives it back to him. And uh, he goes, You want to trade? And she's like, No, mine's worth way more than yours. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and she just, nice. that was her personality of knowing the value in herself, knowing the value of what she yep. liked over every, we're all looking at her like, That you know, come on, mom, that's a Super
0: Bowl ring. Yeah. She didn't care. But but that's an interesting piece. And, and I love that, that the, the story and the power of your mom recognizing her power and what was important to her. But her passing is important to you and we want to talk about it because it's not necessarily talked about enough and I think that if you look at most workplaces, death of a co-worker yeah. is not something that's talked about. No, It may talk yeah. about the death of a family member for that person, so all of that external stuff, but what do we do when our our desk mate or our office mate passes away. And that really is what it was like for you. Am I right? Yeah. So what is it that you want us to, to consider and to be thinking about? I, it is
2: crazy because like the last 10 years I've run the company before that I worked for her. But even then it was weekly communications. It's emails. It's all this stuff back and forth. And as soon as you get that call that, hey, your mom's dead, you go through the initial shock and then you go through oh like and again like i'm a male and then it could be and that doesn't have to be a male i just i guess that's who i am yes and so i always was like i got this mom like i i don't need you i don't need your input like i got this i know what i'm doing i'm running the company and yet she we would still have and how long conflicts. did you all
0: have that working relationship about 10 years
1: wow
2: and um and so after she passed all of a sudden it was like I don't have this. Like, I wanted that, I wanted that person to, to drop. And it was funny because every time I would travel, I, I don't live close to, like, big airports, so I always had at least an hour drive. As soon as I get home, get in the car, bam, call mom. And just have an update. Like, what's going on? Let's yeah. talk. Like, here's what's going on. And even, so she passed, like, late February. I still will get home from, a, like, a plane trip or whatever and get in the car. And that, that urge to have to call her is so great. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, and so I bet it was six weeks where my wife noticed more than anybody, because I would still go to work, show up, do the thing, go home. She's like, something is not right with you. Like like you're usually just like detailed and on it Mm -hmm. and constantly on top of everything. And it was probably six weeks before I felt like that fog started to lift. And then what it made me think about was how many people that we work with where either we're working with a coworker that passes or even a family member, we go, take take 3 days. Yeah. We will pay for it, you oh, know, yeah. come back Monday. Thanks. And we think all of a sudden like on Monday they're going to be normal. Right. And like how many people have been fired from a job 3 months after they had a family member or a close friend or yep. a coworker someone that passes and we somehow we just think like well, they just stopped doing it. And you have no idea the impact that has and everybody grieves differently. You know, for and isn't it isn't and you just don't know it until you're in it. Mm-hmm. And yet I just think we have, we just as HR professionals and like business leaders we have really no aspect of how much of an impact that has on individuals.
1: Yeah. I I mean, it's true. And as diverse leaders and as as humans, we need to do a better job. So I lost my brother uh, about a year and a half ago. He had mental illness. He committed suicide. Um, And my team was good, right? And and they were there and they gave me that time. But I would say it was several months before, and it's still, right, it's still weird and numb and yucky yep. and it did impact my ability to do my job and thankfully I have a leader who understood that and who I could say like I just can't today and I had several of those days over the the following months and I thought what was unusually not unusual but what was also really hard is we're in the business of disability and mental health and I have mental illnesses and and I told my team this is what happened. This is because, and it did two things for me. One, it helped me to understand even in my profession, how hard it is for others to communicate and understand when you lose someone in that way, but also how much more it means to do our jobs well and to change people's lives and get them to work and give them that opportunity. And that's really, I mean, your mom gave you that. She set you up not only to understand how strong women lead, right? And to, and to instill that confidence in other women and in yourself but also the impact that staffing and HR and talent acquisition make because it it does systems and bullshit and all that. It saves people's lives because it gives people purpose and it gives them a paycheck and gives that opportunity in a way that I think it's really easy to miss every day. But when those kind of things happen to us and we lose that, then it it kind of reignites, or at least, and it took me a while, but it reignited for me a passion for my job and for what we do.
2: Yeah, and I I had some people... Within the company I think too as I was going through the like the, probably the hardest period where I, I had gotten like I had a couple really I mean I have a, a really good leadership team and a couple that would come to me and they're like, Hey, this person over here is like they you know made the comment like, you know, your mom would never do that or your mom would never say that. And like that really set me off, you know, because they didn't know my mom. Like I knew her, you right. know, but they thought they did because they thought they knew her as a leader, but they didn't understand all the conversation that took place behind the scenes right. that led to those decisions. And they, they were just looking at final outcomes going, well, Judy would never allow this to happen or this, or whatever, you know.
1: Right. And so
2: you're also dealing with that in the workplace as well of being yeah. judged. I mean, I have I think a lot of people look at me going, oh, shit, Tim just won the lottery. You know, oh. and you're just kind of like, really? It's like, w- my mom. Yeah, and like it's a, and again, it's the last thing. You know what? Right. Where I felt like I won was a whole lot of stress. <laughs> and,
1: just, and and you yeah. did, right? You
2: know, and, and and you know the other stuff will play itself out if I'm still alive from the stress, like heart attack I'm gonna have. But you know, Don't it's, it's kind of one of those.
0: So speaking of writing, did you all change your employee policies? Did you update your manuals? And especially as a smaller organization. Again, not knowing who exactly is listening, what did you all do, if anything?
2: Yeah, so we really did. I think we had, we had the typical kind of like, like I think just dumb policy now that I think about it in hindsight, which is like three days if a non-family member and a week if it's a family member and all these kind of like, like yes. almost like you're judging who's important. Yes. And I said, it's done. You take as long as you need. Nice. Just let us know. Communicate with us. If it's two weeks, if it's a month, whatever, we care about you. We care that you come back and that you're that you're going to be productive and we're going to make sure that happens. So just let us know.
0: And, you know, I like that because when we were at uh, Transform in Boston earlier in the summer, uh, the guy from Cox, I can't remember his name, but one of the things that he said was that we should not all attempt to be like Google and Facebook, but that we should. You know think about what's going to work inside of our organization and not just simply creating food and offering food and all that other so you all just simply said as a small organization we're going to offer this yeah it's of value to our people have they received it have people commented it been a non-issue so, because we really haven't had anybody
2: that's lost anybody stuff okay. like that so we'll see but in my mind i'm like you know when one of our female employees has you know gets pregnant has a baby and she's gone for three months or whatever it is whatever she decides to be gone we we figure it out yeah you know i'm like so if somebody says like hey i lost my son or lost a coat i need a week or two weeks or whatever we'll figure it out i mean it's it's, there's no difference to me in that
0: yeah but see it's a perfect complement to the book the talent fix you know when we talk about fixing broken systems that part is an important part of the system. and may be one that we don't necessarily pay enough attention to. So yeah. here's what I'd love to do. You know, I'm going to do it because oh, I think it. it's important. Okay. How do we close it? You know, how do we, if, if, there's, if there's one thing that you need leaders across the country to reconsider, what's that one thing? I love what Julie said around D&I, understanding the stack. What is it universally that we need to take away and begin to implement in our organization.
2: I really think that we devalue um, our people. And I I make jokes about this all the time. When someone's brand new at a company, I'm like, oh, you're still smart. (laughs) Like you haven't turned into an idiot yet, right? Because we all do, there's a certain period of time. It could be a year, it could be 16 months, whatever. At some point you come into the organization brand new and you are a genius. Everything you say, everyone's listening to. And then after they listen to it enough, you become an idiot. So for me, it's, we don't hire to fire. I've never hired somebody going, I can't wait to fire Julie. Can't (laughs) wait to fire Torrin. You know, like we never do that. And yet somehow three months, six months down the road, they turn into a piece of garbage and we just say, nope, get rid of them. And so for me, it's, it's take a pause, understand why is that person failing? And what part have you played in it? And if you can change that part and give them another chance, give them another chance, figure it out. Because... I find so many organizations that their talent is broken because they're constantly churning recruiters they're constantly churning pe- operations people and like, it just has, you know, we have to give people a little bit more time.
1: Yeah. And I, I think really the theme of HR right now should be, be more fucking human. And yeah. that's what you're talking about, right? Yeah. Fuck the policy, fuck the process, be a fucking human and, and put yourself in other people's shoes and recognize that everybody has a value. And that value may be in a different place. It may be at a different company, but that's a long-term, that's a human being on the other end of that paycheck. They're not just there to produce for you at the end of the day. So Tim, thank you for sharing Mama Stories. I love that. I mean, I I think it's just so important. It's such a tough topic to talk about. Thank you for having me. As leaders, we need to have those conversations more. So, Torn, any final thoughts before we go?
0: If recruiting is the tip of the HR spear, the Talent Fix is the best primer on how to wield it. There it's you time go. for talent acquisition leaders everywhere to step up and to lead, said by Miss Jerry Crispin, co-founder of Ooh. Career Crossroads and Talent Board. You can find the book at The Talent Fix. You can find him online at Tim Sackett, T I M S A C k-e-t-t julie and i love what we do we love engaging with high-spirited individuals like this one right here we'll be back again next week you can find me on sirius xm channel 126 career mix sundays 1 p.m in the east what about you
1: and lord jesus i have no idea what i'm doing next so we're just gonna call it a day
0: crazy in the king we are ghosts
1: see ya Thanks for listening to Crazy in the King. I'm Julie Sowash with my co-host Torrin Ellis. Follow us on social media, but you can also now find Crazy in the King on Facebook at our website crazyintheking.com or follow our hashtag like you have been. This episode was produced by me, Julie Sowash. Our music is by the amazing DJ Cell straight out of Baltimore, and if you like our podcast, please rate it and share it with a friend. See ya.